Hey, Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. So glad that you are joining us, especially if you're a brand new listener. Welcome. Uh, I want to remind you that here we believe that you belong, so we want to get you plugged in and connected to this community. And one of the best ways for you to help us do that is to fill out a connect card so we can figure out your name, uh, reach out to you, or maybe answer any questions or area of interest you may have. So fill one of those out. You can find it at our Church Center app or our website. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We are picking back up in week I think four, four of our series, uh, Cross Equals Love. This is a series that we do every year where we talk about the cross uh, and what it teaches us about God's love or, or even our own love. This, this week, we're going to hear from Pastor John. He's bringing a message about the legacy of Jesus. So you can give that and listen in just a second. Before you do, though, I want to remind you that God is up to a lot in this community and that we believe in the mission of what God is trying to accomplish through his church, through our church. And if you want to support that mission, I would encourage you to give, um, to give a recurring gift via our Church Center app or website to support the work that God is doing through us. But uh, I hope that you enjoy this message. Uh, Give it a listen and I'll catch up to you in just a minute. beautiful to hear your voices as you lift up God's name. It's so good to be in his house together this morning. And I want you to know wherever you come from, whoever you are, however long you've been here, even if it's your first Sunday, you belong. You are a part of God's family and he loves you. And we're so glad that you're here worshiping together with us as the family of God. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm honored to continue our series, The Cross Equals Love. And in this series, we're talking about the context of the cross and a prophecy about something that would happen later that is first talked about in Isaiah 53. So we're walking through this chapter verse by verse, mining its riches, learning from what God wants to share with us through this prophecy. And we're going to get more to cross equals love in just a moment. But as I was preparing this week, the topic of legacy kept coming up. Legacy. It means the impact of life, the mark that your life leaves on this world, something that you pass down to the next generation. But oftentimes, we don't think about legacy in our lifetimes unless we go to a funeral where you're learning about the legacy of someone's life. They're telling stories about who this person was. Or oftentimes, we learn about someone's legacy by someone who is famous, and you hear about what they did and what they accomplished throughout their lifetime. In fact, I need your help. If you would call out someone that you know of who is famous with the legacy, who would you think of? Shout it out. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Billy Graham. Yes. Elvis. All right. I think he's still alive somewhere. Who else? Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. That's a great. Michael Jackson, the king of pop. I love it. Smith Wigglesworth, yeah, great man of God, yeah. Elon Musk, Musk, the living legend. Yeah, you either love him or you hate him, it seems like, but he's, he's doing some amazing things. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought Elon up because a lot of times we don't think about someone who's living with a legacy, do we? But we all have a legacy. We will all leave a mark on this world, even if it's just someone who knows you the most, right? We won't all be famous, but we are famous to the people who know us. In fact, I was talking with someone after second service, and she was like, 
I, I would think of my grandma as someone who was famous and had a legacy. I'm like, I love that because she's famous to you. And legacy is important. When I think of legacy, I think of people like Albert Einstein, who left his mark on science. And we still are learning some of the theories that he proposed back in his day. He was such a genius. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who you guys mentioned. He left his mark on human rights to show the dignity of every single person made in the image of God. I think of Mother Teresa, who left her mark elevating the dignity of the poor. When we think about people like this who left a legacy, it's because their lives had purpose. They lived for something bigger than themselves. They left a mark through their lives. And oftentimes, their legacies aren't fully realized until after they pass away. Did you know that the world-famous painter, Vincent Van Gogh, only sold one painting in his lifetime? This was it. It's called The Red Vineyard. And it was sold for the equivalent of $437. That's it. Vincent died just four months later. Never realized his legacy. Never had an idea of the kind of genius that he was with his artistry, with his painting. He had no idea. Didn't know the mark he would leave on the world. Today, Van Gogh is known as one of history's greatest painters. In fact, in 2022, guess how much one of his paintings sold for? Anyone have a guess? Three million, ten million, one hundred and seventeen million dollars. What a legacy! From four hundred thirty-seven dollars to one hundred and seventeen million—that's some appreciation, isn't it? But he had no idea. He didn't know the legacy that was within him. And like I said, we all will leave a legacy. What will your legacy be? What purpose will live beyond your life? In the ancient world, leaving a legacy was incredibly important, which makes this chapter in Isaiah 53 kind of confusing and complex to the ancient people. Let me show you what I mean. Throughout this Cross Equals Love series, we've been talking about this figure called the Suffering Servant, who is the main figure in this chapter of Isaiah 53. This leader who would come and sacrifice his life, would experience grief, would be crushed by God for his people. This is a prophecy of the Suffering Servant. And we've discovered, as we've unpacked this truth, that this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and what he would sacrifice on the cross for his people, for you and for me. Do you consider Christ's death on the cross to be a legacy? Have you thought about his life, his death, his resurrection as his legacy? You know, when I was looking for all the greatest legacies as I was Google searching this week and just seeing what people's perspectives were, these kind of top 10 lists of greatest legacies, you know who never made the list? Jesus. How could the Savior of the world miss the cut on the team of greatest legacies? I mean, how does that happen? We value things differently, don't we? We miss the mark and the magnificence of our lives. Why did they miss Jesus? Why do we still miss him today? Well, I want to show you the answer here in Isaiah 53.8 as we join in the scripture for today. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, 
that his life was cut short in midstream. See, this passage was written by Isaiah to a primarily Jewish audience. And in that period of history, in the Jewish culture, the only way that you left a legacy was to gain land and wealth and possessions and to to be successful and then to hand on that inheritance to your children. Well, here we see the suffering servant had a pretty measly legacy, right? He had no descendants. How do you pass on your inheritance if you don't have any kids to give it to? His life was cut short in midstream. He did not reach his prime. He died too young. He did not reach the completion of his legacy. It was incomplete. And by some people would have been seen as a failure. See, the perfect fulfillment of this prophecy, Jesus Christ died on the cross a single man at the age of 33 without any children. His life was cut short in midstream. He had no descendants. What kind of legacy is that? I mean, to the world in Christ's day, this would have seemed like a failure or at best incomplete. The loss of innocent human life. And if that wasn't enough, there's more that digs this story further into the ground. Let's look at verse 8b and 9. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. The suffering servant was innocent. He had done no wrong. But he was buried like a criminal. The suffering servant who was innocent gave his life for criminals. Would you give your life for a death row inmate? Would you trade his or her place if you were innocent, if you had not completed that crime? We wouldn't, would we? That's not just. There's an injustice about the suffering servant's legacy. He did not deserve to die. It sounds a lot more like injustice than legacy, doesn't it? But what about us? Do you sometimes feel like your life is incomplete? Like you have potential that's not yet realized? Do you wonder what your purpose is? Students, you may be asking these questions behind the scenes of your life. As you go through school and take tests and you're on spring break, you may ask yourself, who am I? When everything gets quiet and you're just with yourself, you wonder what your purpose is. What kind of mark will you leave on the world? In fact, I think we all wonder that. What is our identity? Who am I? That is the question of our lives. But what about when your life is interrupted by pain? What do you do when you can't see your purpose in your pain today? You're caring for loved ones while they're sick. You have to walk through cancer with your family and watch a loved one die. You have to walk through the pain of life that is excruciating and gut-wrenching. Why does God allow pain like this? Why did God allow my son to die 20 weeks in the womb of my wife? Why does God allow suffering like this? Many of you are going through immense suffering. And it hurts. It rips your heart out. It's gut-wrenching. Life transitions feel like this as well. They're uncertain. We, we fear the unknown. 
Church, we're in a transition right now between one lead pastor and another, and it brings up all kinds of emotions within us, all kinds of questions. And it's hard, it's difficult. We wrestle with those questions and those emotions. Maybe you're single but ready to mingle and the dating scene just keeps failing you. I talk to friends all the time who are trying the online dating scene and it just is so shallow. You know, they, they, people keep swiping right on them. They judge them by just the way they look on the outside and don't really get to know them. And you feel this desperation, this longing to be with someone, but you can't find them. Maybe your debt feels like a mountain that keeps growing taller. You pay something off, but then the interest just racks it back up again, and it feels like you can never get ahead. This mountain that's growing. The Mount Everest of debt can feel like. Or maybe you're wrestling with an addiction that feels like a magnet that keeps pulling you in. The more you run away from it, the more it tries to suck you back into its grasp, to its talons, to its traps. And this addiction can feel painful. When we go through things like this, we don't see them as part of our legacy, right? We see them as problems to escape as quick as we can. In fact, to think about legacy in those moments seems kind of offensive. Like, let's get real. How can I think about my legacy when I don't even know how I'm going to get through the day? Life can feel very incomplete and unjust, can it? Now imagine you're the ancient people receiving this prophetic message of a suffering servant, a Messiah who would come. But a Messiah who had an incomplete, unjust legacy. And this wasn't just any prophetic message. This was about the one who was coming to rescue the world. It was meant to give us hope. But how could someone stuck in the same situation as us bring us hope? What kind of Messiah is that? He's no better off than we are. He's got the same struggles, the same temptations, the same incomplete legacy that we feel. As we fast forward into seeing how Jesus Christ's legacy unfolds, we see how his disciples were just as confused as we are. We see this clearly in a conversation between them and Jesus in Mark chapter 10. We'll spend a couple moments in these verses because this really begins to show us the kind of legacy that Jesus was leaving for us. Then James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. That's interesting, asking the Messiah to do you a favor. Uh, What's your request, he asked politely. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Those selfish, arrogant disciples, right? Like, how could you ask that? That seems so arrogant. But they didn't get it. Even though they knew he was the Messiah, they literally walked with him every day. They didn't get the prophecy. They didn't understand the suffering servant. They thought he would be a king like every other king they had known. This political hero who had won victories and ascended the throne to judge the nation of Israel. They just didn't get it. Let's see how Jesus responds to them. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you about to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. 
<laughs> okay, I don't believe you. They still don't get it. We're able to go through suffering and death with you. No, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. See, Jesus is showing them a new leadership legacy. Not that he would be a king like every other king, but he was going to be a different kind of king, a different kind of leader. See, we have this term nowadays called servant leadership, where leaders are willing to serve their people, where they're not elevating themselves on this throne high above, but they're willing to serve. Servant leadership was not a thing until this moment. Jesus literally invented servant leadership, and this was the moment. He's describing a new kind of legacy, a new kind of leadership modeled by the suffering servant, modeled by Christ's own life. And he shares what this legacy looks like in the following verses, starting with verse 41. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They're ready to fight James and John for those two spots next to Jesus. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. It's all about position and power. And the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is truly a different kind of legacy. Instead of a leader flaunting his authority over his servants, the leader is the servant. Instead of gaining great military victories, land possessions and wealth, an inheritance to pass on to his own descendants, the Messiah gives his life as a ransom for many. A legacy of sacrifice. A backwards, inside-out, redefined definition of legacy. We're not used to this kind of leader. We're not used to this kind of life. So what does legacy look like through a lens of sacrifice? A legacy of sacrifice looks like complete love. And we already have the picture of it right here. Cross equals love. This is the legacy of Jesus. But there's one problem with this formula. If you don't have the right definition of love, it breaks the formula. Cross is sacrifice. Christ gave up his life on the cross. That is the kind of love he's talking about. But is that the kind of love we see in our culture? We see modeled for us in our daily lives? No. Oftentimes the love that we see is is defined by what I can get out of it. I love others in order to get affection, intimacy, connection, security. I don't want to be alone. And if I have someone, then I will get that feeling of being loved and accepted. I don't have to feel alone anymore. Love is a feeling of infatuation. It's fate to be with this person. And I have all these butterflies and warm feelings, but as soon as, soon as those feelings wear off, it's time to get divorced. Because love is a feeling. Love is what I get out of it. Friends, this is not a complete love. This is an incomplete love. 
Love that is incomplete loves to get. Do a lot of work helping couples work through relationship struggles. And when one partner is only focused on what they can get out of the relationship, they become blind to the needs of the other partner. All they can see is what I need, what I, how I'm, my needs are not getting met, how I'm suffering in this relationship, and they can't even see the other person's struggle. It creates loneliness for both partners. They both feel this divide. They move away from each other, and the gap between them widens. They feel this intense loneliness because they can't see the other person. If a relationship is based on that kind of love, it will not last. This is an incomplete love. But friends, when Jesus hung on the cross, he was not thinking about what he could get out of it. He was thinking about all he could give. Through the cross, Jesus shows us what complete love looks like. Listen to how he described it in John chapter 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The greatest form of love is sacrifice. This is complete love. Love that is complete loves to give. It is unconditional and sacrificial. It is willing to give for all people at all times in all ways. This kind of love is not bound by the scarcity that we see in love to get, but it is unlimited by generosity. I want to give to meet the needs of others. In a relationship filled with complete love, each person is not consumed by what they can get out of it, but what they can give. Focused on meeting each other's needs, they move towards each other and they find intimacy and security. It almost becomes a competition of who can outserve the other. And if that's what you're consumed with, then you will find your own needs met in the process because you're both striving to meet each other's needs. You're not consumed by the incomplete feeling of what I can get and never getting enough. When I think of complete love, I think of moms whose stretch marks on their body bear the sacrifice that they were willing to pay to bring life to their children. I think of single parents who work multiple jobs to put food on the table for their families. I think of teachers who work tirelessly behind the scenes, oftentimes without credit and a lot of feedback and complaints, and they're tirelessly raising up the next generation of leaders in the classroom. I think of my grandma, Millie, who was a spunky, stylish woman who loved coffee and great conversations. She lived a long, selfless life filled with complete love. She died at the age of 97 in 2016. 97, what a legacy. I had the privilege of writing her eulogy and sharing it at her celebration of life. And I wanted to share a piece of it with you so that we could see what complete love looks like through her life, what sacrificial love looks like. When we would visit Grandma Millie for the holidays, it was like time stood still. She just had this way of making you feel like you could let down all your walls and just be. She would brew the coffee and tell you to spill the beans as you talked around the table for hours. There was never a struggle of knowing what to talk about. 
She just drew out the depths of what you were feeling. And you felt completely connected to her. Like she was looking into your soul and you were safe there. She didn't just invite family into her home on holidays. She invited those everyone else forgot to invite. The outcasts, those with no family of their own, found their family with the grandies on those days. I miss her. The number one thing that Millie gave us was her time. She created space in her life to just be with people. I know this personally as I spent time with her when I was younger, having sleepovers at her house with my sister Mary. She would invite us over to watch movies, talk, eat way too much junk food, and share about Jesus. Mary and I both realized that these conversations shaped the course of our lives. We knew we could confide in her about anything. She prayed for us, encouraged us, and believed in us. And in those moments, something happened deep down in our souls that made us feel like we mattered. We were deeply and unconditionally loved. I can tell you one thing that sums up her entire life. The reason I am so inspired by this woman is because she was changed from the inside out by Jesus Christ. The reason we are so impacted by Millie is because she had so much of Jesus within her. I want to be like Millie because she continued Jesus' legacy of sacrifice. You see, when we think about legacy, we can be so consumed with our own individual mark that we want to leave on the world, the impact of our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what if you could continue the legacy of Jesus? What if you could found your life on the greatest legacy that ever hit this planet? And what if you could do it alongside others who are walking this journey with you, sacrificing with you? That sounds like purpose that I want to be a part of. I think this is what happens with the greatest legacies. They're too big to be fulfilled in one lifetime. They actually multiply and grow stronger with each new generation. We get to pass them on to our children. Let our children lead us and watch as the little ones stand before us and lead us in worship and show us how to serve our God. Can we learn from the little ones? Can we learn from our kids? Check out what Jesus said about how generations multiply legacy as he faced the end of his life on earth. John 12 Verse 23, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth that unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. When Jesus died on the cross, death swallowed up the Savior of the world. The kernel of wheat died alone in the soil. On that day and the next day, it seemed like death had won. Jesus was wounded by death itself. A fatal wound by the unbeatable foe. Even Jesus' own disciples thought so. They were depressed. They hung their heads and thought that all their time with Jesus was wasted. Jesus called them from fishing. They were fishermen, and he said, come fish with men. 
with me. And they did. But literally, after Jesus died, they went back to fishing again. They went back to their old lives because they thought it was for a waste. Jesus' legacy was incomplete, failed. A waste of innocent human life. If the cross is the end of Jesus' legacy, then all of this is true. But the cross isn't the end of the story, is it, church? Through Christ in the soil of death, God multiplied the seeds of new life. On Easter Sunday, we discover that death didn't win. Jesus did. Jesus killed death once and for all. And it could no longer take the lives of those who follow his legacy of sacrifice. Christ completed his legacy through the resurrection. And the best part is his legacy lives on through those of us who believe in him. Because we get to continue what he started. Do you know that the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you? You have the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead and that spirit empowers you to live his legacy, to step into resurrection power, to let it impact your life and heal you, enter the places of your suffering so that you can bring healing to other people. You see, the legacy of sacrifice means that glory comes through suffering. New life came through the grave. This reminds me of what Pastor Nathan talked about last week. We all want the resurrection. We want the power, but we don't realize that you can't have resurrection without crucifixion. You can't have glory without suffering. How have you experienced suffering in your life? How have you been wounded, hurt, and broken by this broken world? In what ways have you felt misunderstood or not enough? Where have you felt immense pain in your life, like we talked about earlier? What memories do you have that you'd rather forget? What secrets are too shameful to share? What if those are the very places where God wants to shine his glory through your life? Resurrection raises dead things to life. See, glory means weight, significance, and impact. Those places where you've been wounded and broken and scarred are the very places where God wants to shine his glory through you. Listen to what Pastor Tim Breen says. Suffering somehow doesn't purchase glory. Suffering is glorious. Put another way, glory is what suffering looks like from an eternal perspective. It is the honor of God that crowns God's people. And there will come a time in which all the church's shared sufferings will be seen as radiant and beautiful. That's a different perspective on suffering, isn't it? From an eternal perspective. The next time you go through something where you feel uh, unjust or incomplete, when you ask yourself, what is the purpose of this pain in my life that I'm going through? When you ask yourself, how can I even make it through the day? I want you to tell yourself, God will reveal his purpose through my pain. Will you say it with me? 
God will reveal his purpose through my pain. Let's say it one more time. God will reveal his purpose through my pain. He's going to heal you and use you right where you've been wounded to bring healing to others. When I was 10 years old, a neighbor showed me pornography and said, this is what guys look at when they feel alone. What kind of legacy do you think that began to spun in my life? When I'm lonely, when I'm frustrated, when I'm overwhelmed, this is what I turn to to make myself feel better, to soothe myself, to comfort myself. And it led to an addiction. Thankfully, by the power of the cross, the resurrection, God led me on a journey of recovery to overcome this struggle and his healing in my life one step at a time as I confronted those wounds, as I invited Jesus in to these broken memories. Literally invited him into that memory of the neighbor sharing that with me and picturing Jesus rescuing me from that memory and feeling the healing that he brought in my life in that moment. It's powerful. And so friends, I have had the honor through my journey of recovery and and healing. And it is an everyday journey where I have to be on my guard, where I have to stand strong and choose Jesus as the one who satisfies me. God has used me to bring healing to other people. I remember teaching an encounter class and I was sharing part of my story. And Chris Davis was in the class as a participant and he shared his recovery of struggling with pornography as well. And right then in the class, I said, hey, Chris, do you want to lead a life group with me to help other men overcome pornography? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So last summer, Chris and I led men through a group to overcome this struggle in their lives, to help them bring healing and find victory in this place of their own struggle and their own wounding. God wants to shine his glory through our suffering, through our struggles and our brokenness. He wants to produce new life in others through your pain. He wants to heal you and bring resurrection in your life so that you can share it with others. So how do we live this out? How do we continue the legacy of Jesus? The first thing is to ask this question, how can God reveal his purpose through your pain? This is hard. You've got to go back into the places where you were wounded and broken, and a lot of times we want to run from those places, not go back into them. So bring a friend with you. Get their perspective so you can help see how God can bring his purpose through your pain. Number two, how can you continue Christ's legacy of sacrifice? May it free you to know that you don't have to be consumed with your own legacy. You can continue the legacy of Jesus. And in that place, he will show you your role. He will show you your unique role in the story of God as you can bring healing and transformation through the legacy of sacrifice. What is one way you can practice love to give instead of love to get? How can you live out complete love in your life? If you're out there and you're hearing this, you don't know Christ. Maybe you feel like you don't know what your purpose is or your life is incomplete. You don't know how you're going to leave a legacy. You feel trapped in the circumstances of your life or your pain that you're going through. That feels very real. The good news is Christ's legacy of sacrifice is free for you. He's giving it to you. He's offering it to you. And you can have it today. 
so that you can discover a complete purpose. Will you pray with me to receive Christ if this is you? God, we come to you, each of us, right where we are. We bring to you our broken lives, our broken stories. We have this sense of feeling incomplete, especially those of us who don't know you. If that's you, you can pray something like this in your heart. Just talk to him like you talk to anyone and say, hey God, my life is broken. I don't know what my purpose is. I feel stuck and alone. I need your help. Will you rescue me? Will you come and find me? Will you show me what my purpose is? Every time I've tried to lead my own life, I've failed. Jesus, I need you to lead it for me. I will follow you all the days of my life. And though I don't fully understand all of this, I want to discover your legacy of sacrifice so that my life can matter for eternity. Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back. I hope that message encouraged you to think about the legacy of what Jesus did and what it demands from us as his followers, but also what it teaches us about how he loved us. I hope that you think about that this week and that you find opportunities to love others like Jesus did. Uh, Also, if you need any kind of support, whether that's prayer or whatever else, feel free to reach out. We would encourage you to reach out, actually, via Connect Card and let us know what you need and and how we can support you best this week. Have a a blessed, uh, amazing week, and we'll catch up with you again real soon for Easter, which is just next week. Uh, See you soon.